Proverbs chapter 29 tonight, Proverbs chapter 29, and uh, we'll meet there together in just a few moments. Proverbs chapter 29 will be in verse number 18, Proverbs chapter 29, in verse number 18. I want to ask you a question tonight. What, what is the American city that comes to mind when you think of a place in our country that is completely and utterly given over to sin? Vegas? San Francisco? Uh, my guess, I, I, I had a feeling that I wasn't necessarily looking for a verbal answer, but I'm glad you're plugged in. My guess tonight is that all of you would have thought immediately off the bat of either San Francisco or Las Vegas, and you have good reason to. San Francisco, of course, is the, really the capital, the spokesperson of the LGBT community. There's, in fact, uh, right in the heart of San Francisco, there's a district. The whole city is separated into, I believe, 30 or so districts. There's a district called the Castro District that is well known for its homosexual culture. In fact, if you were to go there to that district, uh, you would be in the minority if you were a heterosexual. Up upwards of 55% of the people in that district identify as homosexuals. I, I did some research into the culture of San Francisco, and honestly, some of the niches that are there, some of the practices that are there that are not looked down upon, but just embraced, uh, of open sexuality and all that, some of them are so disturbing, I don't even feel comfortable discussing them from the pulpit. And, and let's not pick on one type of sin, because if you go to San Francisco, all of you would know that it's a place that struggles with crime. Um, it, it's a culture, even if you're not part of that other culture I just mentioned, it's a place that is well known for lust and for greed. It's a place that abounds in other forms of sin. Of course, all of us are aware of Las Vegas and how uh, really it's the American icon of lust and greed. In fact, their tourism capitalizes on that. Come to Las Vegas where you can indulge in lust or in greed. And here's the thing tonight, church. I think all of you would agree that if you look at the moral state of not only our country, but our world, we are living in a day where it's common for people to throw off, to cast off all moral restraint. Are you with me? That, that in many places in our country, and it's, it's going to become more pervasive, even in southwest Kansas, you watch, give it a couple years, it's going to come here, that it's going to be looked down upon when people embrace biblical ethics and morals, and it's already so in other areas of the country, that if, that if you practice what the Bible says, that you're looked down upon, you're called old-fashioned, your life is archaic, you're out of date, you're out of touch. We live in a day where people are throwing off moral restraint. Here's the question I want to answer tonight. Why is it that there are certain areas of our country, of our world, that seem to be given more to immorality than others? 
Why is it that we can travel to San Francisco and we have to cover the eyes of our kids as we walk the streets and see the billboards, but in Southwest Kansas, life is totally different? Why is it that in Europe, the way that they educate children about sexuality is so beyond what our imagination is here in Southwest Kansas? But, but you come to certain areas of the country and, and really the values that people hold are closer to the Bible. Why is that? Is it that the people in those parts of the world are more wicked than we are? Is it that those people hate the word of God more than we do? Tonight in Proverbs 29 verse 18, we're going to answer two questions. First, we're going to answer this question. Why are some societies more morally corrupt than others? And then more importantly, and secondly, we're going to answer this question. What should we do about it? Let's look at Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 18 together. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, you, you may wonder why we're talking about morally corrupt societies when you see the first part of the verse. Because many times people quote this verse as a verse about leadership and leading people and having a vision. But that's not really what this verse is about. Because if you take a deeper look at the word perishing, it'll give you more of an idea of what Solomon is trying to get across. Because the word perishing... Unlike what we might think, it's not referring to death. It's not referring to suffering in hell. Actually, the word perishing is probably the word Solomon would have used to describe my hair as a 16-year-old. For those of you who didn't know, I actually used to have a lot of hair. Look at that. In fact, my uncle, when I was a teenager, he called me Mopsy because I had like this mop on my head. You know what's even more sad than the fact that I wore my hair like that? Some teenagers still think that's cool. The word perishing literally means to run wild. In fact, in, in other parts of the Old Testament, the word is used to describe hair. Like, you know, someone with long hair that was just running wild. That's the word that Solomon is using. And the idea there is not that he's talking about hair, but he's talking about places, and he's talking about people that morally are running wild. They're out of control. They've cast off all restraint. They've rejected all boundaries. They've said no to every boundary that God wants to put upon their life. And it doesn't take long for us to look at our world and see that there are segments of our culture. There are subcultures even in our city. There are cultures around the United States of America where this is exactly the case. That people are morally running wild. Are you with me? Sexual perversion unrestrained anger, greed, that's out of control. I mean, you look at debt, I mean, it's absolutely out of control in our country. And all of those things are signs that we live in a day where people are throwing off restraint. But what is the cause of this? How, how does this happen? How have we gotten to this place, even in our country, that was founded upon Christian values? Look at the first part of the verse. 
You can take the slide off of my nasty 16-year-old hair. Where there's no vision, where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, again, that, that word isn't talking about um, leadership vision. It's not talking about having a vision for our church like our pastor does. That's not really what it's talking about. The word vision, we have to understand how the Bible uses that word. First um, Samuel 3.1 will give you a better idea. It says, And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. The word vision is not referring to some leadership tactic. The word vision is talking about the presence of God's revelation. That in the Old Testament, the way that they knew what God wanted to say to them, because they didn't have a complete canon of scripture, was often that God would give a vision to his prophet, and then that prophet would communicate the vision unto the people. And so when they had no vision, they did not have God's word. So really what Solomon is saying is that when the word is not proclaimed, the people are not restrained. And this is an undeniable fact. That when you look at places and you look at cities that are morally unrestrained, you dig deeper and you'll find out that those same places are places that have little to no access to God's word. It's this way in the Old Testament. Of course, all of us are probably familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. A place that was so morally unrestrained that God in his anger was going to burn the whole city down in judgment. You don't have to flip too many books of the Bible forward and you find that the nation of Israel, who would have scoffed at the same type of societies, that in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says that they had become just like the surrounding nations. That the immorality and the idolatry and all the things that characterized the heathen nations had crept into their country. And what do you find? In that same section of Israel's history, there were little to no people proclaiming the word of God. It's undeniable. Listen tonight. When God's word is not present in a society or among a people that the natural, inevitable result is that those people will go down a path of moral destruction. So why are places like San Francisco and Las Vegas and Amsterdam and other places like that, why are they so wicked? Why are they places of unrestrained sinful behavior? Is it because California is the land of fruits and nuts, as people say. Like there's not nuts out in liberal Kansas. Come on now. Is it that Las Vegas is just full of a bunch of weirdos? Is it that the people in Europe don't have the moral compass of people in southwest Kansas? No. The reason that those places are the way they are is that they don't have access to the word of the living God. Is that there haven't been people proclaiming the word of God among them. Should the moral state of San Francisco surprise us when there has never been a clear presence of Bible preaching churches in that area of the country? Should it surprise us that the most immoral city in our country is also the least church city in our country? Barna Research Group did a, did a study on the most churchless cities in America. And they, they did this over a long period of time, very credible study. 
of people who had not attended a single service in the last six months. These are people who have nothing to do with church. And I want you to listen to the names that are on this list, and maybe you'll see the correspondence here. San Francisco, right at the top of the list. You, you see Las Vegas is number six. You see a lot of East Coast cities over there. Further down the list that didn't fit on the slide were places like Reno, where prostitution is legal, Seattle, Orlando, L.A., places that we all know are hotbeds of immorality and sinful behavior. It shouldn't surprise us, should it, that where there's no vision, the people perish. That where the word is not proclaimed, the people are not restrained. Should it surprise us that Europe has turned themselves over this corrupt view of sexuality when p missionaries there would just die for more missionaries to come? And let me say this from a New Testament perspective. Our main concern as people of God shouldn't be that people live moral lives. It should be that people have Jesus. But we know this, that when people have Jesus in their hearts, they're going to have a life that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's no doubt from God's word how a lack of God's word being proclaimed leads to people becoming morally unrestrained. But here's the second question. What should we do about it? If we know that there are places in our country that are completely given over, that they've thrown off all moral restraint, that there are people even in our community, because this is on an individual level, that have nothing to do with what God has to say, what should we as the people of God do about it? Is the solution to elect more morally responsible government officials? Good luck, right? Ugh. Is the solution to pass legislation that makes everything against the Bible illegal? Well, that wouldn't be a bad thing, I guess. It probably won't happen. Is the solution that we should just make fun of those people and degrade them and condescend upon their lifestyle? What's the solution? Let's look at the second half, because... Solomon is giving a, what we call a contrasting Proverbs. So he states one side of the issue, and then the second half of the verse is going to state something completely opposite. So he says in the first part of the verse, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where the word is not proclaimed, the people are not restrained. But here's the second half. But he that keepeth the law, what's the next word? Happy is he. So here's what Solomon is saying in the second half. Where the word is kept, the people are blessed. And that, that word keep, we don't often use it this way, but literally in, in the Hebrew, it's the idea of building a fence. It's the idea of, of a wall of protection. Here's what Solomon is saying. When you let the word of God build the fence around your life, when the word of God is what sets the boundaries for your life, it is then that your life will be blessed. It's then that you'll experience true happiness. And how many people can testify tonight? I, I look, I, I saw um, Leah singing, it just reminded me of the young couples in our church that no doubt are experiencing God's blessings and joy upon their marriage. Why? Because they've let God's word form the boundaries for their marriage. It's, 
Only one couple said amen. Are there some couples in here tonight that can say, man, my marriage is blessed because I've let God's word set the boundaries. How many of you parents could say, man, my children are blessed because we made a decision early on as parents that we were going to let the word of God lay the boundaries in our home. Our church has been blessed because we've made it our mission ever since way before I was born that our church was going to do its very best to operate by the word of God. And because we've let the word of God make the boundaries, our church has been blessed for it. When you keep the word of God, the end result every single time is a life of fulfillment and blessing and joy. And we ought to thank God for that tonight. That God would be so good to give us his revelation so that we could form the proper boundaries. We could set the fence posts in the right places so that we could have access to the joy and the fulfillment that Christ offers. And I'm looking out on faces tonight of some blessed people. Some parents who've seen children grow up and serve God with their lives. And they get to come to church every Sunday with their grandparents. Uh, look out on the faces of families tonight whose kids are in Bible college or whose kids have gone off to serve the Lord. I'm looking at faces tonight uh, of families that, that have experienced God's joy in their marriage. Listen, as a church, we're blessed because we've let the word of God lay the boundaries in our, night, in our life. But here's the question I have for you tonight. Is why should we as a church experience God's blessings and do nothing about the people who are perishing in our world? I love what one old missionary said. He said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everybody's heard it once? Why should it be okay for us as the recipients of God's grace to sit upon God's grace when there are people in our country, people in our city, people in our workplace whose lives are characteristic of throwing off restraint and they're on their way to hell and we do nothing about it? I want to give you just three things tonight. Here's the bottom line. Three ways that we can bring God's word to the perishing. Here's number one. Not four, sorry. I changed my mind. <laughs> Bring it off that slide, brother. Number one. He's waiting. He's waiting for me to say it. Pray. I love Matthew 9, 38. I, don't, I won't have it up on the screen, but Jesus and his disciples, he began talking about how, how the, the fields were wide unto harvest and how there were people that needed the gospel, just like that woman at the well. And his disciples basically said, Master, what should we do about it? And Jesus said, he didn't say go. He didn't say do this. He didn't say give. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he might send forth laborers into his harvest. Church, can I ask you this? When was the last time since, what, April, that you prayed for unreached peoples in our world? When was the last time you prayed that God would send preachers of the gospel to cities or areas of our country that desperately need it? 
You know what I think would be a better solution to the moral problems of our country? Instead of complaining about certain politicians, instead of complaining about how people are always bringing up this weird legislation, why don't we just stop and we just pray that God would send a preacher of the gospel and that he would go to that place and that God would use him to reach people who then would have a biblical mindset about life. All those problems would be solved. We complain about political candidates who don't hold our values. Maybe the problem is that people aren't reaching others with the gospel, and so there's less and less people in our country that think like God does. And so as Christians, our responsibility, first and foremost, even before we bring out our wallets, is to pray and ask God and say, God, would you please send somebody there? Why don't we make it a part of our regular prayer time to just say, just Pray for one city or one country or one unreached people group. Grab a book or get an app like the Operation World app and just pray for areas of our world that need the gospel. You know what's amazing to me? I did some research on this, and I try to do my best. In the city of San Francisco that I could find as a person on Google, there are the same amount of Baptist churches in San Francisco, California, as there are in liberal Kansas. 850,000 people who need the gospel. And they have the same amount of witness as a town of 20,000. We need to pray that God would send people. Number two, we need to give. We need to give. You ever wonder why we support three different church planners in Hawaii? Is it because that three people are trying to get a break from life? No. It's because we have an island that's part of our country that is given over to alcoholism, that is suffering from depression, and there's barely anybody there preaching the gospel. People want to go and take a vacation, but people aren't thinking about bringing the gospel there. And so as a church, I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to financially contribute to three different men and their families who are taking the gospel to a place as needy as the, as the, island, the islands of Hawaii. We have the opportunity as a church to support, uh, I believe, 56 different missionary families. But let me ask you this question. What if we had the budget as a church to support 100 missionaries? I know you're not here answering phones all week. There are a lot of missionaries that we don't get to support. And it's not because they're bad people. Now, some of them, you're like, eh. <clears throat> Or pastor, I guess, is like, eh, I don't know about that. Man, there are a lot we have to turn down. You know why? We only have so much money. What if we had the budget to not just have one missions intern, but to have two? Some of you are like, to one is too many, please. <laughs> what, what if we could do twice as much to plant churches in our country? The only reason that those things could happen is if God's people get all in about giving to missions. And listen, I understand what our pastor says. I understand the numbers that compared to the averages in our country, this church is a giving church. But let's not be deceived. Let's not compare ourselves among ourselves that God has a, a specific call upon every one of your lives of what you should be contributing to missions. And we ought not to be satisfied with where we are. We ought to be pushing more and more and more to get involved in giving to God's work. 
Listen, the mission of the gospel, it's too critical for us to make a commitment on a missions conference in late April and two months later because it was an emotional commitment or because things changed and life changed for us to just stop giving. Because we may not feel it, but when, when people don't give to the gospel, the church doesn't have as much fuel to spread the gospel. Don't be deceived tonight. Your decision, if, if you're not following through with that, and I'm not accusing anybody, I have no idea who gives what, but if you're not following through with that, listen, there are people being affected by that decision. We need to pray, we need to give, and lastly, but not least important, we need to go. We need to go. Number three. We talked a lot about the big picture tonight, didn't we? How cities and areas of our country are morally just throwing off restraint. But here's the truth tonight, that this verse applies just as much to the family that lives down the street from you. And they may not look like some weird, wacko lifestyle. That has nothing to do with it. Is that if they don't have Jesus Christ, the truth is tonight, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And I think sometimes we, we think about the gospel on Sunday, but we don't think about it on Monday. We don't think about it when we mow the lawn and we see him across the street. And church, let me challenge you to take the gospel with you wherever you go. To pray to God every single day. This has helped me personally just say, God, I have no idea who I'm going to meet today. I have no idea who I'm going to talk to today, but let me shine the light of Jesus Christ. Let me shine the light, the blessed gospel light to everybody I meet and to let my life be something that can reflect Jesus Christ to people who I don't even get a chance to talk to. So why is there so, so much moral unrest in our society? It's because where the word is not proclaimed, the people are not restrained. And number two, what should we do about it? We need to pray, we need to give, and we need to go. I love the song where the Tyler sang. I couldn't help but think about how it went with the message. Everyone needs compassion. Everyone. Love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. I love the last part. It talks about going. So take me as you find me. All of my fears and failures Fill my life again. I give my life to follow. Everything that I believe in, now I surrender. Church, can I encourage you tonight to pray, to give, and to go like you've never been before. To pray, give, and go like you've never before. I want to give you very specific instructions for our invitation time. Number one, I want you to pray for somebody, one person, you know that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. 
And I want you to pray for somebody that you can talk to about it, not just some random person that you'll probably never talk to about it. I want you to pray for somebody that doesn't know Jesus that you know personally. And if you don't know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you need to fix that this week. You need to get out of your box and live a missional life that's about Jesus Christ. I want you to pray for that one person. And number two, I want, Travis, bring up that slide. I want you to pray for one of these cities. Let God burden your heart. Listen, some of you have never been to any of these places. Listen, we ought to be burdened. 61% of the people in a city haven't gone to church in six months. They have nothing to do with God. And we as a people of God need to be praying, not just that God would call people to that country or that city, we need to be praying that God would call members of Fellowship Baptist Church to respond to the gospel call and preach the gospel among people who are perishing. Let me encourage you tonight, just pray for two things. Pray for that one person and pray for one city tonight. Every head bowed and every eye closed.